This is the Irrelevant Information Podcast, a podcast about the importance of the unimportant. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today we're going to talk about Dazzle Camouflage. Every day seems to be International Day of whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Either it's International Chicken Sandwich Day, or Siblings Day, or Grandparents Day, or National Day of Postage Stamps, whatever. Every day of the calendar has been hijacked by capitalism to get us to buy something. Now, as sanctimonious as that last statement may have sounded, let me tell you, it worked on me. November 11th, or 11-11, is apparently Singles Day. It's purely a shopping holiday that originated among young people in China in which single people buy stuff for themselves. Lots of stores have sales, among them Uniqlo. Now, I'm not single. I am, in fact, married. But I don't need any excuse to buy something for myself, but I took this one gladly. And I bought a handful of t-shirts for the very acceptable price of $11 from Uniqlo. And one of the shirts that I bought was this black and white abstract geometric pattern print shirt that's actually really cool. I really like it. But when I showed it to my wife, she mentioned that it looked kind of like prisoner's pajamas in her eyes. Um, she's a little bit of a hater. but. As I stared at myself in the shirt in the mirror and moved around, I actually got like a little dizzy and it reminded me of an old early 20th century maritime deception technique, dazzle camouflage. World War I seems to come up a fair amount in this podcast, but that's because the Great War was a sort of horrific accelerator for so many technologies and innovations that have shaped the modern era. Now, for all the good innovations and for all the horrific war-related innovations, there's been plenty of strange ones that kind of just fizzled out and never really went anything or influenced the world for anything greater than what they were at their time. And Dazzle Camouflage is arguably one of them. Now, dazzle camouflage, even though it's called that, truthfully, is not camouflage. Camouflage is meant to conceal things. You know, there's that old meme of anyone that's taking camo pictures and people are like, I don't see anything or whatever, because that's that's the point of camouflage. However, dazzle camouflage is not that. It's complex geometric patterns of contrasting colors, chaotically intersecting and interrupting each other. And during World War I, warships were painted in these jarring geometric figures, and they kind of look like chaotic abstract zebras like a postmodern zebra battleship. And that's why dazzle camouflage or dazzle painting isn't actually camo. Its intention was never to conceal the ship or make it invisible. In fact, the only intention of dazzling a ship was to make it hard to estimate its movements. Ships were turned into psychedelic floating giraffes to mislead enemy U-boats or submarines that were using periscopes to target the ship and the abstract shapes would cause the targeter to be unable to estimate the range, speed, and heading of the painted ship accurately. Now, it's notable that during World War I, no two ships were dazzled in the, in the same way, meaning every ship had its own unique pattern, which is really cool. Now, when I talk about this, you notice I keep bringing up animals, and that's because the dubious science behind the idea is based on animal patterns. The whole scheme was proposed by a British zoologist by the name of John Graham Kerr. He based this idea on his principle of disruptive camouflage. He proposed that the lines that make a clear outline of the ship should be disrupted. For example, mast of ships, which are the highest point on a ship, should be disrupted by like 
irregular white bands of paint which would make the shapes of the ship harder to determine from a distance. Thus leading to confusion, thus leading to people that lo are looking at the ship through a periscope not being able to determine the exact direction of the ship. Now, Kerr's idea was rejected as it was not fully fleshed out and this whole notion of based on animal patterns or whatever wasn't really believed by the Department of the British Navy. The full fleshing out of the idea for Dazzle Painting is attributed to Norman Wilkinson, who was a Marine artist and Royal Navy Reserve volunteer, and he outlined that painting should be used not to disrupt the shape of the ships, but rather to obfuscate the size, speed, and heading of the ships and make the enemy take poor firing positions. The irregular shapes that would be painted on the ship would make it harder to determine whether you're looking at the stern or bow of the ship, for example. In this way, Dazzle went from being seen as actually making a ship easier to spot to serving its true purpose that the patterns would obscure the ship's hull and disguise the heading of the ship. Now, it should be noted that Wilkinson, the guy that actually got the idea through and actually got the idea implemented, wasn't as methodical in his findings as Kerr was, and he didn't present them in such a way. Instead, the dude was like, I'm an artist, I have this artistic background, and he used that as his presentation tool. There's even a series of paintings by Wilkinson highlighting his idea, and they're very cool and very strange. There's something kind of like steampunkish about it. it. It looks strange. Also, Wilkinson claimed that his idea had nothing to do with zebras or animals or any sort of zoology, but instead came from an ancient Roman era technique of making ships invisible by obfuscating the way they're going and they're heading and everything. The whole reason why this idea was adopted, though, was because the British Navy was desperate and needed something, anything, to combat U-boats that were sinking merchant ships with ease. So they adopted his plan and painted ships with weird geometric abstract patterns that made warboats look super freaky, like some art project. Wilkinson was actually put in charge of a camel unit of artists, and over 4,000 British merchant ships were painted in Dazzle Camouflage, and Dazzle was also applied to 400 Navy vessels starting in August 1917, which is a great feat, especially considering that not one of these ships repeated patterns. Each one was completely unique, and this is because they didn't want the enemy to be able to tell what type of category of the ship was or the size or anything. Every one of these 4,400 British ships were entirely unique in their markings and their patterns, which is exceptional. The way they were determined, the, the design on them was that the designs were tested on small wooden models, and then they were scaled up and painted on actual ships. And these designs weren't just made by Wilkinson, they were made by a whole team of artists, and they had a lot of different types of artists, like sculptors, painters, set designers. It was just like a full-on art project that the British Navy took on, and it's pretty amazing. In fact, there's going to be some pictures in the show notes that you should really take a look at because it looks really cool the way these ships ended up looking. Was it effective, though? Probably not. Maybe it's unclear, actually. The data from the war shows that Dazzle ships had been attacked 1.47% of sailings compared to 1.112% for uncamouflage ships. However, of the ships that were struck by torpedoes, 43% of the Dazzle ships sank compared to 54% of the uncamouflaged, 
and 41% of the dazzle ships were struck right in the middle of the ships compared to 52% of the unkamouflage, which kind of makes it seem like they could have worked or at the very least they threw off the U-boats enough so that they couldn't target them effectively. But all of that data is unreliable. There's been modern studies to determine the effectivity of dazzle painting, uh, specifically one in 2011 by Nicholas E. Scott Samuel, Roland Baddeley, Chloe E. Palmer, and Ines C. Cuthill, titled Dazzle Camouflage Effects Speed Perception. Now, what they tried to do was to see if dazzle was actually effective, and what they found was that at low speeds, there was no significant difference between perceived speeds of dazzle-painted objects and non-dazzled objects. However, the dazzling seems to be effective at higher speeds. The speeds where it seemed to be effective, though, are well beyond the speed ranges of typical naval warfare, so they concluded that dazzle camouflage didn't work in disguising the speed of World War I ships. So, dazzle camouflage looked cool, it didn't really work well, and was a stopgap to better ways to dealing with submarines. By World War II, few ships used dazzle camo, and in fact, they became so much less prevalent that I don't think anyone has a mental image of World War II battleships with dazzle paint. Dazzle paint vanished and went away. In that way, dazzle paintings reminds me of another thing, the Sega 32X. If you're not familiar with video games, especially old video games, the 32X was an add-on to the Sega Genesis console, which is Sega's... 16-bit console like a contemporary of the Super Nintendo, so think late 80s, early 90s. Now, this add-on would plug into the cartridge slot of the Sega Genesis and would expand the power of the console. It was like a mini console that would plug into the Genesis and give it extra juice. It was meant to be a transitional console to the next era or the 32-bit era consoles like the Sega Saturn. That's why it was called 32X. This add-on, though, was the product of panic on behalf of Sega, whose 16-bit console was good, but they were getting beat to the next generation by Atari and their Jaguar console. They rushed the development of this machine with the goal of making it to market by the holiday season of 1994, especially because they weren't sure if their actual 32-bit machine, the Saturn, would make it in time. But in doing so, they rushed game developers who were unable to generate any really good games for this add-on. The games that were available for it, though, couldn't even take advantage of the supposed power of the thing. And the 32X really only played Genesis titles and made them look slightly better. The successor and real 32-bit console was released in the same year as the 32X, in fact, and you couldn't even play those games on the 32X. The PlayStation, which was Sony's next console, and the N64, which was Nintendo's next console, loomed in the background, and the Sega Saturn drew support away from the 32X, and the thing failed. It was ill-conceived, it was born of panic, it was not really vetted, and it was a desperation move. But just like Dazzle Camouflage, it looked pretty freaking cool when you see a Sega Genesis console with that little 32X tower on top of it. It just makes it look more powerful or something like, you know, early 90s technology where you could just like add on stuff and make it faster and make it better. It looks like a supercharger on the hood of a Mustang or something like that. It looks awesome. That's why it reminds me of Dazzle Camouflage. 
And that's desperation when confronted with a problem, we'll go to any ends, explore whatever we can to try and provide a solution. But both Dazzle Camo and the 32X show us what happens when things are not properly vetted or thought out. They can be spectacularly ineffective. And while they give people lots of work, you know, Wilkinson had his whole team of artists, Sega had a whole team of engineers working on anything, they didn't actually produce anything worthwhile. It serves as a reminder that just because something seems like it could provide a way out of a problem, we shouldn't take decisions like that in times of duress and not just do things for the sake of doing things, right? It's just like, oh, we gotta solve this. And rather than thinking through the solution, it's just like, do something. We should sit back, take time to think things through and really analyze what we're doing. But even if we don't, we could still create something pretty awesome. <laughs> Now, I'm going to go put on my Uniqlo shirt and throw off some German U-boat captains who can't determine whether I'm coming or going. That's it for this episode of the Irrelevant Information Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Um, look at the show notes. There's some really cool pictures there. Next week, there won't be an episode due to Thanksgiving, but... I just want to thank everyone who's listening now because in this episode we will cross 5,000 listens and that's a pretty significant landmark for me. Thank you for all your support. Share with a friend, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.